There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no... Well, that's what we're all thinking, right? Happy Friday to you, Jerry Bader. Steve's Graffiti will be at Miller Park at noon. You know, home. As in, there's no place like home. Boy, it is do or die. Backs to the wall, but back at home. And I do feel good. I'm with Gene Miller's Freudian Slip. The World Series. Well, we have to get through Game 6. They have to get through Game 6 first. Do the Milwaukee Brewers. So I have an interesting situation. Uh, you know, there's been much conversation about you've got some important political debates tonight. Certainly, uh, not certainly, but likely the most important, the gubernatorial debate. Scott Walker and Tony Evers. And, of course, you have the Brewers. I do not have access to FS1 on my TV, and I'm just, I'm, I get in touch with my inner old guy when it comes to streaming stuff. And I have not, I actually have not attempted it. And when I say I don't have it on, I had, I inadvertently kind of had a lot of sports stuff taken off DirecTV. So I can't, the only time I get sports is if, you know, like the games are on TBS or Fox you know, entertainment, regular channel, like Channel 6 in Milwaukee, that sort of thing. Otherwise, i got nothing. So I've been listening on the radio this whole time. So I've been thinking about this. Am I going to break down and stream it on my laptop? Because I have an HDMI cable, I can put it through the TV. Why wouldn't I do that? Well, I don't know. I haven't yet. And... Here's the thing. I, I really, I mean, if they, if they push this to seven games, I just I want to hear Uke's call. I, I do. So even if I do do that, I'm going to flip the radio on to catch that. You know, the bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth or whenever that might happen. Uh, I, I don't know. Because here's the thing. Here's why I'm in a conundrum on this. Because if I do that, then I'll be tempted to put the debate on the TV. And then I'll be going back and forth. But my wife is out of town on business, so who cares? I can look stupid, and there's only the dog there to see me, which is a beautiful thing. It is going to be interesting. Look, debate these debates, in my opinion, and I know the, the true diehard wonky political junkie will disagree with this, but these debates, the punch that they have is the media coverage of them because I think they are lightly viewed on a Friday night anyway. I think only the people that are uber-dialed in. So if something happens where someone, what I call, commits news during one of these things, you find out. And now you get that with the slant of a reporter. You know, And again, reporters are human, and yes, they put a bias into things. You know, so you get their take on it. And I, and I actually think the coverage is what drives any impact these have. So does the fact that even fewer than usual the number of people will be watching, and there's no doubt about that, watching these debates, uh, you know, you've got uh, the Democratic, I'm sorry, the U.S. Senate debate, Democrat Tammy Baldwin, Republican Leah Buchmeier, uh, that's on WISN in Milwaukee. And then Wisconsin I moderating 7.30 to 8.30, the 1st Congressional District, Brian Stile, Randy Bryce. And then, of course, statewide, 8 to 9, the governor's race. And 
we'll be into the Brewers game by then. The only way I think this has a significant impact on the governor's race is if something big happens, you know, where there's a confrontation bordering on, bordering on conflagration between the two that gets a lot of media coverage. And that might happen. Few will see it live, but there may be something that generates a lot of heat and light. What is that? Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker accused Democratic challenger Tony Evers this morning of plagiarizing parts of an education budget plan that Evers submitted as state school chief just hours before Walker and Evers clashed in their first debate in the hotly contested race. Four passages in the budget document released last month by Evers and shared with Politico by the Walker campaign. Let me stop there. That's an interesting choice, isn't it? I I think it is that the Walker campaign, of all of the outlets to which they could dump this thing, did not go in-state. I can tell you a very possible, if not likely, reason for that is they didn't feel the mainstream media in Wisconsin was going to take it seriously. Their other option is the conservative media outlets, and I work for one, media trackers, but they wanted a maximum punch. They got it in Politico. Let's see now how much re-reporting of this there is in the state media. I haven't seen a lot yet. But that was an interesting choice by the Walker campaign. Uh, let's see, uh, we're shared with political by the Walker campaign, were taken from other sources without any attribution. The Department of Public Instruction acknowledged in a statement. Evers told Politico that the lack of citations for the material shouldn't distract from his proactive, positive vision for Wisconsin students and agency procedures will be changed to prevent a recurrence. A spokesman for Evers' agency, Thomas McCarthy, said the lack of attribution was the result of an oversight by staff when drafting the paper. The four pieces of text lifted from other sources cover summer learning loss, workforce experiences for youth, early childhood education, and after-school programs. They are not specific to Wisconsin and don't involve budget numbers or projections. Walker's campaign argued that Evers' primary job as the state top elected schools official is preparing an education budget and the final product contains stolen ideas so is this going to have legs is this going to directly impact or hurt Tony Evers chances next month I think the answer is no and I will explain why in a couple of minutes 842 News Radio WTMJ. It is a must win game for the Brewers, and they've got Wade Miley in a fresh bullpen ready to go. But the biggest X factor, it's not the pitching. Greg Matzik opens the discussion tonight at 607. 845 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader. So, talking about Politico has the story this morning provided to them by the Walker campaign. Plagiarism on the part of Tony Evers' Department of Public Instruction. Uh, essentially, uh, on a, a paper, a budget document released last month by Evers. Walker's campaign arguing the primary job of the state's top elected schools official is preparing an education budget, and the final product contains stolen ideas. Is this something 
that's going to really hurt the Evers campaign? My answer is no. There are two reasons. A little reason and a really big reason. Let me give you the little reason first. As the political story points out, there's a been there, done that feel to this. 2014, Democrat Mary Burke also faced a plagiarism scandal. That one over her jobs plan. And as they point out, while Burke was a first-time candidate, Evers has been elected to statewide office several times and has a longer relationship with Wisconsin voters that could blunt the effect of Walker's attack. I don't think that's wishful thinking on the part of Politico. It really, I mean, here's the thing. It was the least of Mary Burke's flaws. She, she was a deeply flawed candidate. And didn't have a mastery of the issues and any other number of things. There's that. And then, yeah, there is. Evers is pretty well known, certainly compared to Mary Burke. And, and it was just kind of a blip, a hiccup for her even in that campaign. I, I think in the, in the final result, it was about Scott Walker and it was about Mary Burke and that voters did not see her as a serious enough candidate to be a serious challenger to Scott Walker. So the little, the little argument that you can make is if it wasn't a big deal to Mary Burke, probably not going to be a big deal to Tony Evers. I, I'll buy that to a degree. Let me say that plagiarism should be a big deal before I get to the big reason. Plagiarism should be a big deal. Here is the problem. And this is why I have been saying this for three years. When you take character issues off the table, you take them off both sides of the table. When you lower the bar, you lower the bar for everyone. When you have a President of the United States that challenges the character issue day after day after day after day after day after day, and he has an R behind his name, and you're a Republican, you're Scott Walker, or any other Republican candidate with R behind your name, you own that. Is it fair? No. No. Should Scott Walker, well, it's not Scott Walker doing those things, it's Donald Trump. But as I and others have said, you own that. Now, let me give you an example, two examples of this. Mandela Barnes, the Wisconsin Democratic Lieutenant Governor candidate, already played that card earlier this week when, uh, I believe it was the Republican Party of Wisconsin, revealed a Facebook post from 2009, uh, lingerie party. And it is, it is the type of thing where there was a day where this would have felled a candidate for office. It would have been a big deal. It's, it's raunchy. Not super raunchy, but it's raunchy. What did Barnes immediately do? Well, I'm not going to, you know, you've got a president of the United States that called a, a woman horse face today, which President Trump, that, that Wednesday or whatever that was, was it Tuesday? No, it was Tuesday. Did, in fact, call Stormy Daniels horse face. This is the card that Democrats will play, and it's a powerful card. It is literally and figuratively the Trump card. Really? You're going to call us on this stuff? When you don't say anything, fill the blank here, and I will fill the blank. President Donald Trump on Thursday openly praised 
Montana Republican Representative Greg Gianforte for assaulting a reporter in his bid for Congress last year as the United States in general and Trump specifically faced an unfolding crisis over missing journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who is believed to have been killed by Saudi Arabian agents. This was a big deal when this happened with Gianforte. Paul Ryan, speaker, required an apology of Gianforte, and Gianforte was convicted in a charge for body slamming a reporter. At a rally in Montana, Trump celebrates it, congratulates him for it. This is the problem. And this is why I've been saying for three years, conservatives have a problem when they turn a blind eye to one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, and then they think anything's going to stick when it comes to character issues on the other side. Now, I can criticize Tony Evers because I have been unafraid and not reluctant to criticize President Trump. So yes, I can say that this does speak to... Tony Evers, if not character, leadership, and I think it is, uh, while some some lackey, some staffer screwed this up, at least they didn't throw them under the bus by name. So there is that. But I, uh, it gets blunted. Again, when you lower the bar, you don't just lower it for one side. Republicans for the past three years have especially, well, especially since President Trump became President Trump, have ignored, ignored, ignored things that used to be a big deal. So when things are no longer a big deal on one side, they're no longer a big deal on the other side. That That is the frustration I have had. Yeah, this should be, this is, this is certainly newsworthy. But it's not going to, and look, the media, many in the mainstream media would be in a disposition to downplay this anyway. But now more so than ever. And I bring this up. 1987, in the 1988 presidential campaign, a plagiarism allegation felled Joe Biden. By 2008, all would be forgiven and he would be vice president. But what a quaint notion that is. That same year, Gary Hart was felled, and they've made a movie out of this that's coming out, Monkey Business, the Hold on a Rice scandal. How quaint does that seem compared to the allegations made now? We have, we have moved the bar to the point where it gets hard to make any of this stick. 853 News Radio WTMJ. We say must win game, but that's what the next two truly are. The Brewers and Dodgers are back in Milwaukee for the final stretch run of the NLCS. Game six starts tonight, and Hall of Famer Bob Euchre on the call. Our coverage starts at six o'clock. Well, yeah, they are must win. I mean, they're, you know what? We, we overuse that, particularly in football. Is this a must-win game, Coach? It's the fourth game of the season. Well, you know, if you're 0-3 or, or, or 1-2, and it could be. Well, there's no, there's no debating, no disputing. You win or you're done. There's an interesting uh, article in the Journal Sentinel about how uh, the Brewers, now we as fans can, but the Brewers can't dwell on the 
one for sure and maybe two that got away. The one that I've been fixating and obsessing on is the 13-inning loss because that just does feel like the one that got away. And I really had a feeling when I woke up and saw that, then I didn't stay up for it. But they really needed to win that one if they're going to take two in L.A. And it turned out to be the case. Because Game 5, in the end, it was close for a while, but then wasn't particularly close. And the Brewers can't. The Brewers cannot obsess and fixate on that. We, If they don't win the next two, then we as fans will fixate on that for some time to come. But that, that is, that's just a reality. And, and nor the, the whole Christian Yelich, why, isn't, you know, why is he underperforming his standards? Because those things happen. However, at home for the next two games, that would be a new day, a new time to get the right. A couple of other thoughts on the governor's race. Tucked away in a Washington Post story yesterday that Trump's advisors were telling him not to come to Wisconsin. Why would they do that? We'll get to that after nine. 858 News Radio WTMJ. Happy Come On Brewers Get It Done Friday. Jerry Bader. Hey, Wisconsin. News Radio WTMJ. Oh. Man, this is this is the most I've ever anticipated a baseball game, even maybe back to 2011. I mean, I'm one of the one of those people when the Packers are competitive and, and a big game coming up. Well, I think, when's the game time? When's the game time? When's the game time? This does feel, because it has that urgency now, like an NFC championship game. It's not just another one of seven games in the National League championship series. It's do or die for the Brewer crew. I, I've got a good feeling. I really do. I thought they were going to win the 13-inning game. They lost. I mean, not during it, but before. I had a feeling they'd pull up. Actually... No, I thought they would lose that one and then win the next one. So I was wrong. I was wrong everywhere. Not uncommon when it comes to sports. I want to finish up on a couple of things that I started in the last half hour. Credit where credit is due. I mentioned that the Walker campaign gave to Politico the, the Tony Evers plagiarism story and was kind of you know interesting choice. Best guess is because the... Walker campaign was concerned that the state media wouldn't do anything with it, but once a national media outlet does something with it, well, now it's news. That may or may not be the motive, don't know, but at jsonline.com, in fact, they do have a prominently featured story right now by Patrick Marley. Tony Evers submitted budget requests with plagiarized sections, raising new issue in governor's race. Scott Walker could use something. I mean, it's, it's close, and I think it's a legitimate issue. And I don't, if you heard my last segment, I, don't want to, I want to be very clear. It's a legitimate issue. But in today's political climate and things that just aren't considered a big deal anymore, that happens on both sides. That's my point, which is why I don't think this is going to be as harmful to Evers as it might have been a, a point in the past. Because the climate has just changed 
that much. And yes, it is because of the things that Republicans forgiven, 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 forgiven one of their own. And that, that is a problem. That doesn't mean this isn't a legitimate issue. But it's, it's almost as though it's pretty tough to make anything a big issue anymore. By the way, um, I believe that Patrick Marley has a little more than Politico had. Uh, where did I see that? Um, do, 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 do. Uh, he, uh, Marley reports exactly from whence the lifted, if you will, sections came. A section on the benefits of having students work matches nearly word for word a publication by the National Collaborative on Workforce and Disability. That section includes two paragraphs and a list of four benefits of having students work. Uh, two other paragraphs appear to be taken verbatim from other sources, one from the After School Alliance and one, really, <laughs> from Wikipedia. And this is also uber interesting. Walker's campaign found the passages using software that detects possible plagiarism. You know what the irony is about that? This is interesting. You know what the irony is about Walker's campaign using that software? So Tony Evers is the state superintendent of public construction, right? Every teacher worth their weight in dirt is familiar with that software, particularly at the college university level. It's just a it's a requirement practically these days. I didn't have it back in 1996 when I was teaching at MSOE, but I busted a student nonetheless. It was obviously copied and pasted. It was, I mean, it was so blatant, so flagrant. So that's that's the irony there. One other note on this, uh, on this being the governor's race. There was a Washington Post story yesterday that was in general about Trump, President Trump getting out and campaigning. And it had a little nugget, one, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs down. Advisors urging Trump not to come and campaign in Wisconsin. His advisors. Why would they do that? I'll tell you in a couple of minutes. 915 News Radio WTMJ. 917 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader. So, Washington Post had a story yesterday. Trump advisors have repeatedly told the president that simply touting his accomplishments will not drive mid-term turnout and that he needs to continue to position himself as the counterweight to a liberal democratic mob threatening his achievements, people close to him said. Now that's in the first paragraph. This is in the Washington Post yesterday morning, and then you get to the second paragraph, third paragraph, fourth paragraph, fifth paragraph, sixth paragraph, and something, a nugget interesting to us. Some advisors have urged him, without success, not to travel to Texas or Wisconsin, two states where the president has announced campaign rallies next week. This is interesting. According to the Washington Post, Trump's advisors are telling him, don't go to Wisconsin, don't go to Texas, you're wasting your time. Why? Because Ted Cruz is going to win his Senate race and Scott Walker is going to lose his governor's race. You're wasting your time. And not to mention credibility, because Trump is supposed to be, and he often is, that magic when it comes to energizing the base and helping Republicans win. More in primaries, though, than in general elections have been the track record thus far. So I want to examine this. Okay, actually, 
I agree with the first part. Ted Cruz, every indication is he's going to win. I believe it's a media fabrication that that race is close, and I'm just looking at the polls. I, I just, it's really not close. The media have tried to turn the Democratic candidate into a rock star and say, oh, this is, oh, this is really close. I, I'm not seeing any current numbers. Now, there have been polls from time to time that show that one close. Now, to the part that's relevant to us, that he shouldn't come to Wisconsin because Scott Walker is, going to lo- is likely to lose. I do not believe Scott Walker is likely to lose. I think now a friend who is who's in the business of winning elections for Republicans, allow me to just leave it at that, said he thinks it's fifty fifty. That Walker could just as easily lose as win. I do think it is that close. I I actually would agree with that. And I think he's in for the fight of his life. We knew that even before things got as tight as they are now and the latest MU Law School poll showing a small lead. I I don't think it's likely. Here's what I think is the great debate. This is really interesting. There has been debate here among Republicans in Wisconsin whether it's good for Walker to be seen with Trump. Now this is the flip side. His advisors don't go. Walker's going to lose. It's a waste of time. He'll be seen backing a loser and, and all of that. So he's not done the question is I I, I just don't know does Trump energize the base and help Walker or does he alienate that sliver that Walker needs to win I I don't know I don't think anybody truly knows And and I said the other greater danger that I see is that it's all about Trump and not about Walker or Leah Vukmir. And it's interesting that they, this is what's really interesting. The Washington Post says, don't go to Texas, Ted Cruz is going to win. Don't go to Wisconsin, Scott Walker's going to lose. This story, at least, doesn't mention Leah Vukmir. If anything, and I'm not saying Leah Vukmir is going to lose, I'm saying she does have much more of an uphill climb right now and I'm not just based. this is all I can say publicly, I'm not basing that just on the MU Law School poll. I'm basing that on, again, people in a position to know the state of the race and what they think. She has a much, much tougher fight against Tammy Baldwin. And it's interesting that Washington, the Washington Post doesn't say, well, don't, don't go campaign for that their Republican Senate candidate. She's going to lose. I would think they would be, just based on the public polls, be more inclined to say that than Walker. But, according to WAPO, that's what he was told, and you know how Donald Trump is with advice from advisors. Yeah, never mind. He, of course, shocked the political world by winning Wisconsin. And it's not surprising that he would want to come back here. Mosini, I think, also is strategically wise. That's you know the upstate part of Wisconsin is where he did well. And if anything can close the gap for Leah Buchmir, energizing the base up there might do it. She faces the same problem. Nine twenty-five News Radio WTMJ. A great text. Go Brewers! Tell them to hit the ball! 
I think they know. I mean, I'd, I'd be more than happy to relate. Hey, guys, hit the ball. There. That should fix that. I think they know. <laughs> Let's. We'll find out tonight. I want to share this, and I actually want to take calls on this after the news. I think there's a lot of interesting things in this. Let's see if I can do this. It's a relatively short column in the Wall Street Journal. Leaf blowers are loud, ugly, and dangerous. It is that time of year. I want to read this, and I want to get your thoughts after the news. Fumes, pollution, and ruined Sunday mornings make leaf blowers a nuisance, but they're also dangerous. The emissions and fine particulate matter these devices kick up are hazardous to the health of both gardeners and homeowners, all for the sake of mowing leaves from one corner, moving leaves from one corner of a lawn to another. As a teacher, I frequently hear the drone of leaf blowers from within my classroom. The noise is distracting enough while trying to discuss Bronte or Tolstoy. But outside, where I often eat lunch under the treetops, the nonstop noise seems to broadcast a dire warning. These pristine grounds come at a terrible price. I'm not making this up, by the way. Most leaf blowers use two-stroke engines, lightweight, compact, cheap sources of power for lawnmowers, tree trimmers, and snowblowers. The problem with these crude motors, it's an engine, not a motor, there's a difference, is that their intake and exhaust functions occur at the same time, meaning the fuel mixes with oil. A large share of the gasoline is then spewed out unburned as an aerosol in the exhaust. Such fumes have been found to increase the risk of cancer, heart disease, and asthma. Children playing outdoors and people who work from home frequently contend with this menace. Menace. But landscapers suffer the most. Since many don't wear masks, they breathe in fumes, dust, and spores while enduring hours of high-volume engine noise, another health, health risk. I wear the ear protection. According to a study by Edmonds, an automotive information site, hydrocarbon emissions from 30 minutes of leaf blowing are comparable to those of driving a pickup truck from Texas to Alaska? Really? Leaf blowers also pose a severe threat to the living leaves still attached. Boy, she has done her homework on this. Uh, still attached to the trees and bushes. Collateral damage from blowers aimed at the ground. Air blasts of up to 200 miles an hour can demolish the habitats of bees and other insects and small creatures which are essential to their ecosystems. The dead leaves that blowers target also prevent moisture from evaporating at trees' bases and nourish the soil that sustains plant life. I might ask my students to consider the irony here. A tool meant to beautify our city parks, backyard gardens, and highway meridians is actually destroying them. Landscape associations and manufacturers insist these hyper-polluting lawn tools aren't bothersome or harmful if used properly and protest that leaf blowers are necessary for the hard work of removing leaves and debris. It's true that dead leaves on a lawn don't disintegrate and a return to the rake doesn't seem likely. Leafy trees and green lawns uh, should no longer be our gold standard. We need to uh, rethink our yards entirely. Each fall, let leaves die in the ground. Allow deciduous trees to generate new growth and consider adding a rock garden with succulents or other hardscapes that don't require leaf upkeep and also save water. Outdoors, sustainable, is beautiful. Uh, she is... Adrian Bernard is a writer and teacher in New York. So... 
I want to take some calls on this, actually, after the news. Now, you could tell that I had some sarcasm, just a tinge in my voice. But she tries to make a coherent case here that this is the type of thing that is a scourge. I think she called it a menace. By the way, it's real. I want to get your calls on that after the news. Yeah. In fact, we already have some texts on this. Majority of people have battery power leaf blowers minus plug-in. But even beyond, beyond that, though, the tools that we have come to consider, you know, work-saving, that sort of thing, <laughs> liberals and their leaf-blowing agenda. We'll see what you think. The holidays are right around the corner, and WTMJ is back with its annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinair, Jeff Wagner, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. That is the same number that you can call right now or text if you want to get in on this conversation, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I read this piece from the Wall Street Journal, Adrian Bernard, Leaf Blowers Bernard, Leaf blowers are loud, ugly, and dangerous. She says the pollution from uh, one session of using a leaf blower is more than driving a pickup from Texas to Alaska. 30 minutes of leaf blowing. The hydrocarbon emissions comparable. She talks about how it damages the ecosystem and on and on. It's pretty clear to me that she's just annoyed by these things. And the reality is we still use fossil fuel to run society. And to pick on leaf blowers, well, my chainsaw works the same way. My leaf blower happens to be plug-in. I don't use it anyway. I, I just bag up the leaves with my lawnmower. But I just, we got some good text on this, but we'll head to the phone first. Tim in Lublin, long-time listener to my radio work. Happy Friday, my friend. Happy Friday, my friend. Always good to hear from you. Always good to get a chance to talk to you. If, if it's just not leaf blowers, but if she's against all sorts of fossil fuel uh, equipment used to maintain, to try to uh, landscape, to make your yard your beautiful, I've got this picture in my mind. I'm picturing uh, grass being allowed to grow unfettered and unharmed by the evil blades of man, leaves just falling everywhere, uh, hornet's nests being planted being put in every nook and cranny of houses and trees. And as this beautiful scene grows up and continues to be left untouched by man all over around someone's house, in the background I hear Andy Williams singing Born Free. (laughs) Tim, as always, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, To Aaron in Milwaukee. Aaron, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So I work for the fourth largest landscape management company uh, in the Midwest. I help run Wisconsin for them. And we've gone to alternative fuels. We use propane for our commercial mowers. And we also utilize solar-powered trailers uh, with battery-powered ancillary equipment because of some of, some of these concerns, especially with homeowners associations. 
Uh, we do a lot of work with the medical field. And so we've, we've become an industry leader in working with uh, the producers of, of these uh, pieces of commercial equipment uh, to, to try to move away from uh, some of the things that um, you know, are bothering her in her, in her notes. So there are, well, now this is interesting because hold that thought, Aaron, because I also got this text. Uh, Patrick from Fond du Lac. She makes some great points, but honestly, I just don't care. With everything going on in the world, banning leaf blowers comes in pretty close to last on the list of things to get on board with. Here's what I would say, Aaron. If there, I, I'm with you. If there is a way to make these, to, to sell products that don't emit pollution, I'm fine with that. Where I, and, I, and by the way, I think that is noble. But I agree with Patrick of all the things going on in the world. I mean, boy, this really bugs her a lot. But you're saying the industry actually is heading away from that, right? Yeah, yeah. We've made the conscious choice to do that. We're we're one of the first people in the country to do something like that, and we're we're proud of it, but it makes business sense for us, too. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Why does it make business sense? Uh, because it actually costs us less to run our mowers on propane. When you think of when you think of a commercial landscaping company, it's not your trucks that are going all over and putting uh, using the most consumption of your fuel. It's, it's actually your off-road fuel consumption. So it's made business sense for us because uh, the price of propane is is been historically a lot lower than the price of uh, gasoline. So I've got a ton of texts, not a ton, but I've got several texts on this talking about battery-powered leaf blowers. I mean, I'm assuming commercially that wouldn't work, but for the individual homeowner, what's your take on those? Um, you know, I think for the homeowner, they're good. And the technology, we, we actually have some in our fleet, and the technology is very, very close with our commercial partners on, on having something that's extremely viable and comparable to the, uh, to the, the two-stroke uh, gas I think you, uh, Aaron, thanks a lot for the call. I, I think Aaron makes some really good points. The thing, here's the thing, and by the way, if there is a way to do this, to come up with a product that pollutes less, I always think that's good. But I think uh, where I am on this, I'm with Patrick, I, I actually I think she did make some great points. But we still have Millions of cars on the road. I, I, it just—it seems like a weird thing to target. That's where I would agree, and I think most. Well, I do think she makes some good points. I think she's mostly targeting it because it bugs her. That's that's why I had a tinge of sarcasm in my voice. To uh, Jim on the north side, Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. I'm 67. Every year I have to rake up pine needles. It's a great exercise. I'm normal weight, a healthy guy. I think it's pathetically lazy for homeowners to be using a leaf blower for their yards. Hmm. Here's where... Here. Okay, so first, you... you uh, okay, the pine needles thing. Kudos to you, because those would frustrate the bejeebers out of me, trying trying to rake those up. So you think it's lazy... To use the leaf blower versus raking. And you still got to do the walking, though, don't you? Minor compared to the raking. Well, I suppose. Now, I don't rake. I mow. I, I have a bagger, and I mow. So uh, here's here's what I will say. I, I do have to agree with you on this, Jim. It's out of laziness. Now, I run. I jog. I do other exercise. Um, but I... Uh, 
I find it frustrating to rake leaves. I found here's the other thing though. I found it frustrating to blow leaves because they never go where I want them to go. I think between the two, I would I would rake before I blow. I I use the lawnmower. Jim, thanks for the call. We take all perspectives on this. To Dan in uh, just a second. We'll get to Dan in just a second. Uh, let me uh, yeah, Jerry. If gas model air, uh, airplanes, is she going to complain about that too? Uh, I I fly uh, gas smaller planes. Is she going to complain about that? Uh, let's see. One more here. Where's that? There was one I wanted to share. Uh, we did that one. We did that one. Uh, Mike and Fond du Lac. Hi, Jerry. Love your show. Uh, and Milwaukee Tool makes a great battery-operated leaf blower. That was a big. Uh, call that we get. Dan and Campbellsport says, uh-uh, gas is better than electric. Dan, go ahead. Well, the reason why I'm stating that is because uh, the horsepower is not comparable to electric, and when you live around a lot of trees, you need that horsepower to blow that out of the way. You cannot keep up mm-hmm. otherwise, especially when they're wet. Well, okay, yeah, and that's, well, here's the thing. When they're wet is actually when I I preferred back in the day raking them because then they didn't go all over the place on you. What about though, the person who called in and said there are good alternative fuel, you know, the propane and, and sort of thing? You know, we live in a two-stroke environment where we always grew up with that. They're not that really the emission effective as, they, as somebody is claiming to be. I mean, we've been using them for years. It's work. It's good technology. And they're cheap to buy. Dan, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. I, here's where I would agree with him. Right, now, he said we live in a two-stroke society. He's referring to a, a two-cycle engine, uh, two-stroke engine. I. That's my point. There's a lot of different things she could complain about and pick on. She picked a really, I don't know if obscures the right word. I, I'll tell you, I don't see a ton of gasoline-powered leaf blowers. I see some. Most of them are commercial. Most of the people in my neighborhood rake or do use an electric blower or just bag it with the lawnmower. Anyway, interesting topic. Timely, seasonal, as it were. On to other things in a couple of minutes. 944 News Radio WTMJ. 947 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader. So, okay, I said we were going to move on. However, one final text on this because it's really good. The uh, article, the column, opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. This woman feels that leaf blowers, gasoline engine leaf blowers, are a scourge, a menace, is actually the word that she used. Actually, we got some interesting calls in defense of her and, and texts. This one, Randy from Franklin. Hire the neighborhood kids to rake your leaves. Spot on, Randy. Spot on. In fact, that reminds me of something. I wasn't home, so my wife gets a knock on the door. Uh, We live in Ashwaubenon, suburban Green Bay. My wife gets a knock on the door. I'll rake your leaves for a negotiated price. Okay. A couple of things about that. Our leaves pretty much haven't started falling yet. I don't remember exactly what kind of tree we have in our backyard, but it is stubborn. 
It's barely lost any of its leaves. The trees in our front yard, they're uh, this weekend. I'm probably going to have to deal with that a little bit. And my wife's like, no thanks, we're good. And I, uh, I said, well, I don't blame the guy. I said, that's, you know, that's not a bad deal. Uh, you know, he's just offering to do it. He's trying to make some money. I think that's a good thing. What I have try- been trying to do is come up with a way to make it a church outreach where we just volunteer, get some people from our church and go door-to-door, hey, we'll rake your leaves. One, I think people will be suspicious, yeah, then you're going to charge me or, or whatever. I don't, and also, how do you know which houses to approach? You know, you'd like to get people who have difficulty doing it, that sort of thing. But yeah, the you know, either hire the neighborhood kid, pay him or her. That's, that's not a bad idea at all. I have to admit, I am distracted doing the show today. I am just, man, I want tonight to be here. And I want tonight to be here the part when the game's done and the Brewers have won. I don't want to skip through the game. I guess kind of I do. Of course, you can hear the Brewers game right here on WTMJ. Uh, All right, one more text on this. I promise this is it. It's not the pollution, it's the noise that is the issue with leaf blowers. Have a couple have a couple neighbors addicted to their use. Harleys would be more welcome. See, and I do think that the, the person who wrote the column, I do think that's her problem. That that's that's her bigger her issue, her complaint. Uh, so anyway, in this uh, what's left of the segment, I want to uh, just mention this. Washington Post, hardline Republicans and conservative commentators are mounting a whisper campaign against Jamal Khashoggi that is designed to protect President Trump from criticism of his handling of the dissident journalist's alleged murder by operatives of Saudi Arabia and support Trump's continued aversion to a forceful response to the oil-rich desert kingdom. In recent days, a cadre of conservative House Republicans allied with Trump has been privately exchanging articles to right-wing outlets that fuel suspicion of Khashoggi, highlighting his association with the Muslim Brotherhood in his youth, and raising conspiratorial questions about his work decades ago as an embedded reporter covering Osama bin Laden, according to four GOP officials involved in the discussions who are not authorized to speak publicly. So here is what, what the Washington Post argues is shaping up. Now... Khashoggi was a human being like any other human being. And there may things in it be in his past, may have things in his past, that raise legitimate questions. That said, that's not, if in fact this is the way it looks and the Saudis did this, that doesn't excuse it and really doesn't mitigate it. It was a grisly, cold-blooded murder, something out of the TV show Dexter, if it happened the way that Turkish intelligence seems to believe it happened. We don't have all the facts yet. No, I don't trust the Saudis' investigation to tell us all the facts. Because it does seem pretty clear that there is compelling, at least circumstantial evidence that they were involved, and they say they weren't. So I'd be shocked to have their investigation contradict what they have been saying to this point. Now... The media also has a tendency to make angelic victims. 
but I want to be clear. He, he didn't deserve to have this happen to him. And I think that whisper campaign could backfire and backfire badly. Coming up, I want to tie a couple of stories together. One that suggests that the Kavanaugh effect is waning for Republicans in congressional races. It's not going to have the punch come Election Day that it looked like it was going to. And combining that with the Pence rule, that would be Mike Pence. If you don't know what all of that is, we shall explain straight ahead. 953 News Radio WTMJ. 956, Jerry Bader. This from the Washington Examiner, the bitter confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, initially believed to be a benefit of Republican Senate candidates, appears now to be a mixed blessing that is helping some Democrats, according to three state polls released Thursday. The Vox Populi polling finds in Nevada, Indiana, and West Virginia Senate races show the conflict impacting of the Kavanaugh vote for which President Trump and top GOP leaders have heralded in their a conflicting impact, that is, in their effort to expand Republican control of the Senate. In other words, helping in some races, hurting in other races. What I had said is, I absolutely believed that the overreach, the overplaying their hand by Democrats, absolutely energized the conservative base. Right? I and some other conservatives agree with another block of conservatives is does it have the staying power? And I said the glow of victory wouldn't last as long as the sting and anger of defeat by Democrats. And I thought in the end it's at at best a push for Republicans or maybe even benefits Democrats by Election Day. At the moment, it would appear that it's a push that it kind of balances itself out. Let's hope it's, if you're a conservative, you want to hope it stays there, a Republican, and not actually tilt to Democrats, which I think it could, which leads me to something I want to share with you and get your thoughts after 10 o'clock. The Pence rule. What is the Mike Pence rule? He basically never has dinner or spends any time alone with any woman other than his wife. Is that a hedge of getting against getting falsely accused? We'll get to that after 10 o'clock. 9.58, News Radio, WTMJ. 10.09, happy Friday, Wisconsin. Go Brewers! I do, I, I feel good. I, I'm nervous, but good, if that makes any sense. All right, I want to share just a little bit of this. Not going to read the whole thing. It is a piece by Brad Palumbo in The Federalist, and we already have someone who wants to weigh in on this. We will get to you, ma'am, in just a moment. Hang on, I need to set this up a, a bit more sufficiently. Palumbo is writing about false, potentially false, or false accusations, or men, put it this way, men guilty until proven innocent. And he refers to something that is re-emerging. Here it is. Uh, Talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault allegations. Here he goes. It is understandable, even reasonable, that young men would want to take steps to protect themselves from false accusations in this cultural climate. One re-emerging idea is the Pence rule, especially some people on the right. 
Vice President Mike Pence's self-imposed practice of avoiding dining or meeting alone with any woman other than his wife. But even if the motivations for embracing the Pence rule make sense at first glance, to do so would not only be unwise, but also do little to ward off false accusations while still representing a massive step backward in our social culture. After all, this self-isolating practice wasn't actually invented by Pence, although it rose to popularity after the Washington Post profiled him. It was the late Reverend Billy Graham who popularized the idea, and he's right about that, that men should avoid spending time alone with women other than their wives in order to avoid any situation that would even the appearance of compromise or suspicion, if only preventing false accusations were that simple, he writes. The logic underlying Graham's practice of falls apart when applied to today's context. Even if a man never puts himself into a situation in which he's alone with a woman, he can still face false accusations of impropriety. And then he points to the Kavanaugh case. Then, he says, would the Pence rule hinder professional women? Yet even if there is some utility in embracing the Pence rule, it would come at too, uh, far too great a cost. Pence is incredibly close with his wife, Karen, so much so that she had a direct line to his desk as governor, and that's admirable. But does maintaining such closeness really require shutting out or at least limiting one's relationship with other women? Perhaps it would if you view men as so depraved that they lack the self-control to remain faithful or avoid sexual immorality. Yet Graham and his peers believe the nature of man was actually that barbaric when they invented the Pence rule, motivated by the fear that they would fall into immorality. Implementing the Pence rule broadly would amplify the losses, that is, that women, just the, the networking that women can now take part in. So while young men have a right to be concerned by today's freewheeling Me Too culture, it would be a mistake to respond by embracing a tactic that will do little to ward off accusations and only send society lurching backward. I think he makes some great points, but I still support the rule. I will explain why in just a moment. But I, in fact, do think that this is a good idea for men to do. I, too, I am not saying that it's going to ward off all false accusations. I, I happen to think it's a good idea. Let's head to the phones. Catherine in Fox Point. Catherine, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I, 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 I tend to agree with the, the writer and the federalist. Um, I, I, I have been um, a part of a, many situations. I, I worked in Washington. I worked with senators. Um, and senators who chose not to travel with women or eat alone with them. And I understand that. I understand where you're coming from. I understand with where men are coming from, especially now, where they just want to avoid the whole trap of um, impropriety. And I completely understand that. But selfishly, I don't then have access to my boss. I don't. I can't travel alone. I couldn't travel alone with some of my bosses in their car. You know, driving from meeting to meeting, we had to take separate cars. I didn't have a chance to sit with them and have a beer after work um, alone. Uh, another male had to be there, or, or another person had to be there, and it really did cut down on my ability to network and just hang out with my bosses. 
And furthermore, it felt unfair to me. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I was typically younger than they are. Um, I'm married. I'm married to a former Navy SEAL. So in, in my mind, it was like, listen, I'm good. I don't need to be hanging out with a fat old senator. You know, like, we're... <laughs> Why are we not thinking about my my part in this? Like, this is not tempting for me. I don't know about him, but this is not tempting for me. I'm good. I've got my bases covered. Um, Well, so it it was just really unfair from from my perspective. Although I do understand. Okay, you understand, but you you think it's unfair. And by the way, this is exactly the point that uh, Palumbo, Brad Palumbo makes at the Federalists is that it actually could do more harm than good for women. I will tell you, though, I have a a pastor friend, and and I will say publicly because I have told other people this, I am pursuing the ministry, and a pastor friend of mine, it is a hard rule. Never, ever, ever will he be alone with a woman you know, in the way that is described, uh, and I hear you sighing there, and, and and quite frankly, I think the accusation thing is part of of his problem. He just felt, for a married man especially, it's just not proper. Is that too old school? I just think it. Yeah, I think that's cowardly in some ways. Mm. Um, I do. I I think that that not being able to say, hey, listen, I. And especially as a pastor, you should be able to, um, you know, somebody of, of faith, you should be strong enough in your faith to say, and in a ministry um, uh, uh, position, to say, listen, yeah, I'm strong enough that I minister to every single one of, of my, my flock. And to say that I'm not going to hang out, you know, casually with one of my flock who may or may not need me, that I find that cowardly, to be honest. Again, I understand, and I understand the biblical challenges, and I understand physical challenges, and I understand publicity challenges. I understand that, but think about it from my perspective. I then don't have access to to hang out with you to watch a a Packers game and open up about things that, that, you know, I now need a more formal setting to open up to you about um, challenges in my life. And I just think that that's unfair. You're denying access to somebody okay, who doesn't now let's, have the same restrictions. Let's just take the the example you just took. I would never mm-hmm. invite a woman to my house to watch the Packer game if my wife wasn't good to be there. You you think I'm being a coward? No, not in your own house, but at a bar. You know, I travel a lot, and you know, just well, yeah, I went to, yeah. Just last night, I went to a um, an event in Chicago. My husband stayed home with my six year old. And I hung out with a guy friend. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, we were able to talk about work. We were able to talk about the Brewers. I'm technically a Cubs fan, so that was painful. Um, but, um, it, you know, it, it was, there was nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong but, with but that. that wasn't really a, but that wasn't really alone, was it? You were in a public place. Sure, but that I couldn't, most men that I, I worked with in D.C., if they were older and in the public eye, they would never have done that. They would never have gotten in a car with me. They would never have traveled with me. And that is a hard, fast rule that was just known. And I I find that cowardly. Catherine, thanks a lot for the outstanding outstanding call. I've got to let you run. Um, I, I would like to hear some reaction 
to her points because I think they're really good. On the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. News Radio WTMJ. 1021 Jerry Bader, News Radio WTMJ. I do live by the Pence rule when it comes to being alone with women. If possible, with an employee, we don't, we have, it's had to happen, drive to Madison or other places. I mean, a lot of companies have gone with the two car rule, as Catherine pointed out. I, uh, the office building we're in, there are times during the summer they close at noon on Friday. We're the only people left in the building. Work from home Friday afternoon. I, I do live by that rule. Catherine's argument is a valid one that it's it does put women at a disadvantage in terms of being able to network, being able to do those things. A texter says they go by the same rule. Women can't have it both ways, unfortunately. In the atmosphere today, it's not worth the risk of any loose accusation. I have to protect myself first. It's a texter. Let's go to the phones. Two, John in downtown. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, I agree with what you what you just said. Um, you know, you do lose access as a if you're a woman um, in the culture, but you know, that's just kind of like I, I know all not all women um, are making these false accusations, but you know, women are also getting negatively affected by this, so. You can't have it both ways. If we're going to have these false accusations, um, you know, men are going to have to take measures to protect themselves because you can see the damage they cause. Um, it's probably one of the most damning um, accusations you can possibly have against you, and you have to protect yourself. John, thanks a lot for the call. The, and this goes just beyond the individual Kavanaugh case. It goes to the philosophy that came out of the Kavanaugh case, and that is guilty until proven innocent. And and that that was an absolute legitimate point. That and and this, by the way, existed before Brett Kavanaugh became a household name. To Frank and Racine, Frank, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Um, this, I think this works both ways with men and women. The idea of what people perceive is going on almost trumps the truth. Um, you can go to a bar, a man or a woman can go to a bar together, and what other people see or perceive what's going on will trump the truth, if you know what I mean. And I don't mean Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. people will perceive and look and come to conclusions. You know, no matter what's going on or what's doing, it can be completely innocent. But our society has this jump to conclusions attitude and they will perceive something that's not really there. And that's why I think both men and women need to protect themselves. Hmm. Get my point? Frank, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for the call, Frank. Appreciate it. If you want to weigh in on this, we'll have a couple of more minutes. 414-799-1620 on the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 1024 News Radio WTMJ. The Brewers return home. For a do-or-die game against the L.A. Dodgers, the season's on the line. Greg Matzik is live at Miller Park. Hear from players and coaches starting at 3 o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I am so... (laughs) I just can't, can't get here fast enough.
and I do have a good feeling. Some final thoughts on this topic. I have a text. Kyle in Wabatosa. Radical feminism only hurts other women. Intense, uh, boy, uh, I'm not quite even sure of that word. Kyle, that's a new one on me. Uh, anyway, it, he believes that what's happening is overall bad for women. Um, well, yes, men are going to be defensive. Not all allegations are false, though. There are men who, you know, I, let's look at Matt Lauer, um, Charlie Rose, and others. You know, in, in that case... Uh, Charlie Rose was kind of defiant. Matt Lauer wasn't. Al Franken is now being mocked by the president for stepping down. I mean, here's what I, you know, setting all of that aside, by the way, not only are not all allegations false, I, you know, I think my position is women deserve to have their allegations heard to be taken very seriously and, and, and then you know, be investigated if the man denies. But I also understand, look, I just it's just something I won't do. I follow the Pence rule because I happen to think it's the right thing to do. We are going to go in a completely different direction. Actually, we have several things to get to before the end of the show. Now, I've been, I'm not currently full-time in radio, but until earlier this year, I was in radio for, oh gosh, since 1984. I'll let you do the math. It's too scary for me. Um, In the last 15-ish years of my radio career, I had what's called non-competes. So in other words... Within a 75-mile radius of the radio station for which I worked, I couldn't just go take another job at another radio station. Non-competes are common in a lot of industries. Uh, legal, you know, lawyers have them. Uh, gosh, I, I could go on and on. <laughs> Apparently... Good workers are so hard to come by. Now, janitors. Janitors. Yeah. At least in one place, janitors now have non-competes. What about the whole concept of non-competes? Is it anti-capitalism, as one writer argues? We'll get to that in the next half hour. We say must win game and indeed that's what the next two truly are. The Brewers and Dodgers back in Milwaukee for the final stretch run of the NLCS. Game six starts tonight and the Hall of Famer Bob Euchre on the call. Our coverage starts at six o'clock. So in the last hour I received a text from my wife and I'm trying to decide if this is something that should make me nervous. My wife is flying out of town on business, flying uh, out of Mitchell, and she texts this. I have no idea what this means. I just, one, it sounds like it involves work for me. Here's, here's the whole text. I'm not sharing anything personal, private here. Talk to me about a cherry tree when I get home. Hmm. I just, <laughs> hmm. I mean, 
what what are the possibilities there? She's she's traveling with her boss, so I'm assuming her boss. Uh, talk to me about a cherry tree. Hey, honey, what do you want? A cherry tree? By the way, I would be perfectly fine with a cherry tree. I don't know how one goes about. I've never actually plant. Believe it or not, raised on a farm, never actually planted a tree. Here's one. Okay, talk to me about a cherry tree. It almost it almost sounds like a one of those bumper stickers you would see on a van. Talk to me about Tupperware or whatever. Talk to me about a cherry tree. All right, honey, we will talk about a cherry tree when you get back. Safe travels to California. Okay. I find this next topic interesting because I have been directly impacted by this. In the latter half of my radio career, I, I had non-competes where you, you couldn't just go jump from one station to another if it was in the same region, in that case about 75 miles. They are in all different uh, advertising, uh, legal profession. A lot of people have non-competes. Listen to this. Uh, this, I believe, is from the, yeah, the Washington Post. One of the central contradictions of capitalism is that what makes it work. Competition is also what capitalists want to get rid of the most. That's true not only of competition between companies, but also between them and their workers. After all, the more of a threat its rivals are, and the more options its employees have, the less profitable a business will tend to be, which, as the Financial Times reports, probably goes a long way toward explaining why a $3.4 billion behemoth like Cushman and Wakefield would bother to sue one of its former janitors, accusing her of breaking her non-compete agreement by taking a job in the same building she'd been cleaning for the global real estate company, but doing it for a different firm. Now, he writes, the company claims this wasn't a non-compete per se, but rather a non-service agreement, meant to prevent a competitor from easily taking over the management of a building. But the effect is the same, limiting your current employees' future choices. See, it's not that keeping this specific cleaner from leaving is somehow vital to Cushman and Wakefield's business, although, of course, the firm is obliged to say otherwise, it would be irreparably harmed, its lawyer said, the extent of which cannot be readily calculated. Rather, what's important is keeping all of its workers from leaving for better pay, especially when a few of them had already been defecting to its top competitor, because that's what really this is all about. Whether workers are allowed to leave for greener pastures or their bosses are given the green light to put up such high fences around them that they're forced to stay. In other words, it's about power. Who has it and who doesn't? Or more precisely, whom we give it to and whom we don't. If we create a legal framework that puts workers on an equal footing, then they can go get a raise without having to wait for their employers to deign to give it to them. But if we don't then those bosses, secure in the knowledge that their employees can't easily leave, can get away with offering only minuscule pay increases, if that. You might think that there couldn't be a more absurd example for a company using non-competes to hold down wages than going after a janitor. But, he writes, you'd be wrong. 
Amazon.com use them for warehouse workers. Jimmy John's for sandwich makers. Camp Bow Wow, a doggy daycare chain for dog walkers. In any case, the point is that non-competes, which used to be about keeping top executives from taking trade secrets to rival firms, have now become much more common among all types of workers. Indeed, according to University of Maryland economist Evan Starr and his co-researchers, non-competes cover 18% of all U.S. workers and have covered 38% at some point in time. In other words, 38% of us alive today at one point or another, have been covered by a non-compete. That I used to be, at the moment I'm not. And, uh, and while it's true that they are still more prevalent among high-wage workers, non-competes do cover a full 14% of workers without college degrees. And companies have started suing over them more frequently. Here's his point, that it's anti-capitalistic to have non-competes. I get that. Now here's the counter-argument. And, and, and this, I will tell you, I've been conflicted on this. As a conservative, I see where businesses come from. As an employee, I hated them. Well, because that was my ox being gored. I couldn't just go get better pay if I got an offer, unless I would have to relocate in my case. You can certainly argue that they're anti-competitive. I mean, they are, they're, that's the whole point. You work for us, you can't go work for them. Them being in proximity. I, I will tell you this. I happen to know that in the funeral home industry, this has become common. Non-competes, in, in, you know, so you're in a city where there are, let's say, a dozen or more funeral homes. Non-compete, where a funeral director could not go work for a funeral home in that same city. I happen to know of this firsthand. Someone who works in landscaping, uh, I have a 3.0 and a 5.0 license. I don't know what that means in landscaping. We have to work in a non-compete environment. It's absurd, he or she writes. I never... So, the, boy, so these obviously are way more widespread than I would have thought. If you do have any thoughts on this, I've got a lot of other things to get to, but if anyone does want to weigh in on this, I, I certainly will let you. And the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, but I'm not going to wait around long because I've got a ton of other things to get to. 414-799-1620, 1043 News Radio, WTMJ. 1047 News Radio, WTMJ, Jerry Bader, Brewers, Dodgers, Miller Park, Game 6. Our coverage starts at 6 o'clock. Must win indeed. Talking about non-competes, back in the day they were pretty much for high-level executives, trade secrets, all of that. Salespeople, it was big. You couldn't take your client list and run to a radio station, television station, or whatever company across the street. Now, janitors, Jimmy John's, funeral home directors, is it anti-competitive in terms of, well, 
it keeps wages down because you can't just go get a raise at a competitor who thinks you're good at what you do. To Todd in Greenfield. Todd, hi, our WTMJ. Well, I caught just the end of it, and I, with your screener, I was trying to determine um, exactly what part of this you were getting at, but I used to be a painting contractor, and I had established a client base all through the years, and then somebody that painted for me left me after I trained them and went after all my customers and would underbid me, and it's like that's definitely unfair, but the gray area is... is and he allowed to do that when I took the work and time to get those customers, and then he can just go and and solicit them after I train him. See, me? now that, that, that is the original, what you're talking about, Todd, is the original purpose for non-competes. Right. And, in fact, I can, tell, I can tell you in broadcasting, the way that works is, say, uh, you work for radio station WXYZ, and you're going to go work for radio or television station WABC, and there will be like a year moratorium where you can't call on the same advertisers for that full year. That is the original intent of it. My point, Todd, and the point of the person writing about this is now Jimmy Johns and janitors and funeral directors that you can't just go across the street and work for the competitor and that it's being used to artificially keep wages down. Well, then I think that's a matter of the employer keeping that person happy enough to keep them so that they are paying them enough to not go somewhere else. But they don't have to with a non-compete. Right. Okay. See, that's, that's the argument. doesn't have to. You know, what you're referring to is called the going wage. You know what that means? The wage you have to pay them to keep them from going. Unless, yeah, that's what it is, unless you can put up a fence to keep them from going. And that's the argument. Thanks a lot for the call. And that's why I'm very conflicted, because the free enterprise guy let companies, let businesses do whatever they want, but I've been on the employee end of this stick. And here's what I would say. You know, when I signed a non-compete, I was in a situation where I, you know, my wife and I were situated, didn't think we would be going anywhere anyway. What I would do, if ever confronted with one again, I would seriously consider, all right, you've got to have something in it for me. If I'm going to sign a non-compete, what type of bonus, what type of sweetener do I get in exchange for that mandated loyalty, if, if you will? And apparently this is growing and growing to sectors of the market where though the overall job market I'm talking about now, to where it previously had not been. Uh, we, we got a text from someone who works in landscaping. I never would have thought of that. And that's the whole point of what the writer is saying, is that, you know, now he does have this evil corporation tinge in the story. There's no doubt about that. Look, I, I, what I've always believed is you don't have to take the job. But what I've also always said is if everybody starts doing it, and, this, and it actually wasn't on this topic, it was on a similar topic, if everybody else starts doing it, well, then you don't have a choice. If virtually every 
employer in every industry is going to start having people sign non-competes, then the argument, well, you just don't have to take the job, doesn't get you very far. Because, well, it's going to be that way everywhere you go. The point that the caller made that, all right, look, he just he, he took all my clients. That's exactly what they were designed for, to guard against. And I think you can make the argument that they are non-competitive, anti-capitalistic, when they don't allow people to take... You know what this is like? Here's the perfect example of it. I'm surprised it took me this long to figure it out. Free agency in the NFL. That was the ultimate non-compete, wasn't it? That I mean, you couldn't... You were owned by that team. They had to trade your rights away. That was practically indentured servitude, but with a really high salary, so nobody was going to cry for NFL players. And that competitive nature changed the landscape of the NFL. Remember, the Packers weren't going to survive in free agency. No one's going to go to Green Bay if they have a choice for the love of Pete. And they are one of the most successful franchises in free agency. Just food for thought. 1053 News Radio WTMJ. 1056. Jerry Bader on this Friday, this NLCS Game 6 Friday. So I have a quandary. I'm actually batching it this weekend. My wife's out of town on business. So I'm trying to decide. But actually... So here, my problem is tonight. If there is a game seven, I think I'll invite my sister, maybe to. I, I don't. I don't have a FS1 at home. I, I could stream it, I suppose, and maybe we would go somewhere and watch the game. I'm thinking of doing that. If there is a game seven, not tonight. So I've got to get through tonight. I'm trying to figure out what place is most user friendly for an old guy. Well, I mean, when it comes to people going to establishments, isn't that still like a younger person thing? I'm 57. Do I want to be the creepy old guy sitting there? Who's the creepy old guy? Well, I I know that's the way I would have looked at it if I was a 20-something. Maybe I'll just settle for the radio. I am so lazy. You know what? I'm deluding myself. I'm not even going to seriously entertain the thought of doing that. It's way too easy to be in my sweats at home, popping in and out of the governor's debate, having you uh, and Jeff on the radio. That's what I'm going to do. I'm the, what, what level of denial am I am? All right, coming up uh, after 11 o'clock, a couple of things. It's interesting. The posthumously in a book we learn that acclaimed physicist Stephen Hawking proclaimed there is no God. And that's called a bombshell. I'm not surprised to learn that Stephen Hawking believed that. And then there's one I find really fascinating. How smart are smart cars? And are they smart enough that you should be afraid of them? Particularly when it comes to privacy and data that people can glean from you, about you, from your car. I don't know that you have to be paranoid to be a little concerned about this. That coming up. 1058 News Radio WTMJ. 1109 Jerry Bader, final hour. For me at least. And then Steve Scafidi from Miller Park as the anticipation builds for Game 6. Speaking of anticipation...
If you missed it in the news, I mean, like breaking news, the news sounder and all of that. The Mega Millions jackpot for tonight. A billion dollars. There, I have a lot of thoughts on this. All right, a billion dollars. What that means is if you take the cash option, that would be $565 million. I did some really crude math here, minus the initial taxes, so maybe $450 million. But just, okay, so there's that. I mean, it's not really a billion dollars unless you take the annuity, and on and on and on. You take the lump sum. Minus the taxes, you're somewhere in that, I, I don't know, between 400 and 450 million dollars, I'm guessing. Again, very crude math on my part. Now that's just, that's just money that you can fantasize and fantasize and fantasize about, right? What's interesting to me is how we have lost track of a million, a billion, and a trillion. And how much money really that is. We talk about people having $80 billion, $90 billion in personal wealth. And they do. Unimaginable to us, right? I mean, it's just, that's, that's just, we don't even realize what we don't realize. Now, let's just say you got the full $1 billion, just to make a point here. One-eightieth or so of what Bill Gates and some others have. Just... Ponder that for a moment. If you actually got the full billion, now obviously that worth is on paper to a degree as, as Microsoft stock rises and falls and all of that jazz. But, I mean, they are still, and others, ridiculously wealthy. Just beyond imagination. So, you win this. And I would guess, but who knows, there's going to be multiple winners, I would think, at this point, because you would think sales are going to just skyrocket, but to cover the probabilities, there'd have to be like some 380 million tickets sold. I think that's what, isn't it? One 380 million, something like that. ABC News did a story on this last night before it was known that the Mega Millions jackpot was going to be a billion. Do you know what the odds are of winning the Mega Millions tonight and then by yourself, okay? Just you. You win the Mega Millions tonight, and then you win the Powerball jackpot tomorrow night. Do you know what the odds of that happening are? One in four. Quadrillion. I don't even know what a quadrillion is. I kind of do, but I don't. One in four quadrillion. I mean, so what do you suppose the odds are greater? You winning... The Mega Millions tonight, the Powerball tomorrow night, or space aliens landing tomorrow morning. I'm going with the space aliens. It has to be less than one in four quadrillion, right? I mean, quadrillion is what, four? I I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is the odds are really, really high. I, you know... For me, the one million you can win matching the five, I think it is, that that would be just dandy. I would be shocked if there isn't at least one winner tonight 
I, I mean, a billion dollars. I can't even imagine what the lines are going to look like today. And it's so funny that just the the psychology that goes into that. What, how many people will buy a ticket now versus, say, $400 million? Your odds are astronomical in both cases. But as these jackpots, as they have made changes in the games to get the jackpots to grow fewer winners, we hit this new territory, and people get all excited. Well, I am. I mean, I, you know, a billion dollars does, in fact, get my attention. My point is, but then why doesn't four hundred million, or three hundred million, or two hundred million, or even fifty million? No, I have to wait until it's real money, <clears throat> right? But that's the way we have been numbed. You know, again, a billion is still a fraction of what individuals have, and then when you talk about government spending and trillion and all of that, we have just we have no concept of how big those numbers really are. All I can say is, good luck, and if you win, I hope we share a last name and we're on good terms. That's all. I just, you know, well. 1114, News Radio WTMJ. 1117, News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader. Stephen Hawking. I always found him an interesting person, to say the least. I found this, I actually found this at uh, TMJ4.com, but it's a CNN story that they had posted there. There is no God. That's the conclusion of celebrated physicist Stephen Hawking, whose final book will be published posthumously Tuesday. The book, which was completed by his family, actually, after his death, presents answers to the questions that Hawking said he received most during his time on Earth. These are the things that Stephen Hawking was considered brilliant, and he was. And people wanted his thoughts on things. Other bombshells, I do not consider it a bombshell that Stephen Hawking did not believe in God. Other bombshells the British scientists left his readers with include the belief that alien life is out there, artificial intelligence could outsmart humans, and time travel can't be ruled out. I'm not surprised, none of those things surprise me about Stephen Hawking, none, that he believed those things. I don't discount some of those things. I do discount time travel. I just, I do not believe it is a dimension the way we think of other dimensions. Time is a construct by which we measure our existence. And I do not believe you can go backwards or forward through it. Now, there are there are physicists of the level of Stephen Hawking who say that I don't know enough about physics to understand why it is possible. All right. I know there's some something Sikorsky Bridge or something. I have no idea. I get it. But I do think it is a, a reality of nature that keeps things in order and that we can't bridge that. As for the God part... For centuries, it was believed that disabled people like me, Hawking wrote, were living under a curse that was inflicted by God, he adds. I prefer to think that everything can be explained another way, by the laws of nature. But see, that's, that's the... Okay, now, the first, his, his part about people believing that disabilities were curses from God, well, 
Christianity change that? But I get it. But as for his other argument, I think everything can be explained another way, by the law of nature. Because you can understand how something works, doesn't mean God doesn't make it work. There is, there's nothing groundbreaking, earth-shattering, or anything else about Stephen Hawking believing this. In fact, it would likely be more surprising if the book revealed that he believed in God. Now that, that would in fact be a bombshell. As for the other, one of the other ones, 11.23, the holidays are right around the corner and WTMJ is back with its annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinair, Jeff Wagner, a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. From Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee, Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience. That's where you come in. You can be part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word CHRISTMAS to 414-799-1620. All right. I want to set something up, and then I want to get some thoughts on this after the news. I won't read the whole piece. It's pretty long. But I want to just read some of this to give you an idea of the concept that we're dealing with and how real are the privacy concerns is, and, and how wide-ranging is this topic really. Here it is. It wasn't until the Detroit Free Press reported on General Motors' radio tracking program, which monitored the listening habits of 90,000 drivers in the Los Angeles and Chicago areas for three months late last year, that it became clear that the future of targeted advertising in cars is, well, it's practically already here. GM captured minute details such as station selection, volume level, and zip codes of vehicle owners. So let me stop there. This is cars with built-in Wi-Fi. And apparently the owners didn't know this. They would then use the car's built-in Wi-Fi signal to upload the data to its servers. Which station you're listening to, probably for how long, or time spent listening as we say in the radio biz, volume level, and your zip code. The goal was to, to determine the relationship between what drivers listen to and what they buy, and then turn around and sell the data to advertisers and radio operators. And it got really specific. GM tracked a driver listening to country music who stopped at a Tim Hortons restaurant. GM says the whole concept is still theoretical for now. No one's data has been sold or licensed, as GM prefers to call it. But GM spokesperson James Kane says that connected vehicle data can help develop more accurate ways to measure radio listenership. That, of course, this industry would love this. That could prove useful to the terrestrial radio industry good old-fashioned, over-the-air radio, which continues to lose territory and add dollars to digital streaming services like YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. And GM sounds happy with the results. Our proof of concept has generated interest in the advertising and broadcast communities case. Oh, boy. Yeah. You think? 
advertisers and, and we in broadcasting, who wouldn't love this? Because what this does is, uh, you know, right now, radio advertising is one size fits all. If you can start appealing to specific demographics, so, uh, it's generated interest, but we don't have any new projects to announce at this time. As this article puts it, today, radio advertising is slapdash. The ads we hear when we turn on the radio are the result of a system that assigns listenership to specific radio channels, which experts say can be inaccurate. Those errors can lead to one station charging more. So I get into the business. But in the future, with data like GM is collecting, in-car advertising can be more targeted and based on specific consumer habits, akin to the ads you see in your Instagram feed. The radio industry probably won't be able to reverse its declining numbers of listeners. Ah, oh, that's a topic for another day. But better data might let stations change programming or more accurately reflect what is popular with listeners, says Michael Ramsey, a mobility analyst at Gartner. GM is just showing one of many ways its telematics data can be used to make money. Here, however, is where the rubber hits the road. The experiment underscores how our cars have become rolling listening posts. They can track our phone calls, log our text messages, answer our voice commands, and yes, even record our radio stations. And automakers, local governments, retailers, insurers, and tech companies want to leverage that data as best they can, especially as cars begin to become more automated and transform into self-driving shuttles. I'm 57. That may or may not happen in my lifetime, perhaps not in my driving lifetime. Might be close. According to research firm McKinsey, connected cars create up to 600 gigabyte of data per day, the equivalent of more than 100 hours of HD video every hour. And self-driving cars are expected to generate a lot more than that. In the near term, though, Privacy advocates worry that GM has taken the first steps toward surveilling unwitting customers. The automaker says the customers who use connected services must first opt in by accepting the automaker's terms of use, describing how GM uses connected via data. Does anybody ever actually read terms of agreement before they click? No, and that's the problem. John Simpson, director of Consumer Watchdog's Privacy and Technology Project, says those terms are likely to be vague and not terribly descriptive so that people might not really understand what's going on and what is being gathered about them. He adds, we would all be much better off if GM simply stuck to selling cars and improving their vehicles, particularly with an eye toward improving safety. Now, One of the ways this technology could be used, and this has been discussed, as gas tax yields fewer dollars because cars use less gas, and then you have the hybrids, there's been talk of a mileage tax, which would be logged using this type of data. Does this concern you? Are you paranoid if this concerns you? Or is this one of these times where no, actually... This really kind of scares me, and I think that this is just going a step too far. I would like to see what you think after the news. I, I think this is, this is going in this direction, and it's not anything that's going to go away. 11.35, News Radio WTMJ. 
talking about an article. Now, they are really focusing on the GM did this pilot test, if you will, where they were able to draw all this information about people's car radio listening habits and then ultimately sell that to broadcasters and advertisers. I think there is a much bigger overarching topic here, and that is, well, uh, these Wi-Fi connections that are in newer cars, I I have what passes for an older car, a 2014. It was on the really the first generation where you were getting a lot of that data-rich stuff going on, but still doesn't have that. As more and more cars do have connections or are connected cars, smart vehicle, you have greater and greater privacy concerns beyond knowing what your radio listening habits are. In fact, the, the technology right now is probably in newer cars where they can track your mileage and tax that way, a mileage tax versus a gas tax, and any number of other things. And as a texter just pointed out, you might be surprised about what's in your, your smartphone. Is this a good or a bad thing when you look through the prism of privacy? On the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, you can call 414-799-1620 to Bill in Sheboygan. Bill, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jerry. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of tracking the mileage for sure. Some of the other questions I'm not so pleased about, but tracking the mileage on all vehicles will, will make it equitable, equitable for the electric and the gas vehicles um, paying for the, the road use. Did you so overall? Do you think these cars are a good idea, or just specific to tracking the mileage? I think it's a, a good idea overall. Yeah, um, you know, so many other avenues are available to track people's coming and going, and it's probably valuable after some sort of a a, a crime may be involved. We might have an easier time, you know, tracking either the victim or the the perpetrator of the crime as well. Bill, thanks a lot for the call. Here's my position on this. I think where you opt in to this by agreeing, you know, the terms of blah, 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 I disagree with. I think there should be a specific checklist. Do you agree to this, yes or no? And you check yes or you check no. Do you agree to this, yes or no? Do you agree to this, yes or no? Rather than have this omnibus where you agree to terms of use, so there you go, we get to do this. Yeah, I know people should read that more carefully. But then, okay, if you say no, then what? Then do you? what don't you get to do? By the way, I saw, or one of my kids mentioned that to me. What's the biggest lie these days? The biggest lie is, yes, I have read the terms of use and agree to them. But beyond that, I think there should be very specific opt-ins to this. Because you do discover this, uh, Justin writes... I think that although the smart vehicle technology is really doing nothing more than a smartphone does when carried by an individual wherever they go and whatever they do or uh, stream to it, including when they're in their vehicles, that most people aren't expecting that their vehicles are tracking everything as well, especially those who shun smartphones because of the privacy issues. 
here is what has happened in the last 10 years or so. What would that be, 2008? We have really just surrendered a lot of privacy. The things that we initially, when social media were new, and we just put things out there, not thinking about it. And we have just gotten so conditioned to it. Now we're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Now we're trying to say, hey, I really am not all that excited about this information. And what happens is, you know what this is like? This is like a conversation we had previously in the show today about non-competes. The argument with non-compete, well, if you don't want to sign a non-compete, don't take the job. What happens when everybody uses non-competes, when all employers use non-competes? Then you don't really have that option, do you, when it becomes universal. And what you are seeing is data tracking, data mining, is becoming more and more universal. Look, I was in the radio industry for a long time. And... The more data you can get about your audience, the happier a camper you are. And that's true in any industry. Now, the issue came up about um, um, tracking mileage digitally and charging that way. The previous caller said it was more equitable. A texter disagrees. No, there should not be a tax for mileage. He says gas tax for mileage. Well, it wouldn't be a gas tax. It would replace the gas tax. No, there should not be a tax for mileage most of Wisconsin is rural why should they be taxed more because they don't live closer to grocery stores restaurants etc ridiculous well the argument is the more you use the roads the more you should pay that it's user based you choose to live in a rural area and you have to travel further that's your choice historically you would use because here's the thing that's no different than the gas tax why is it Why? Because you have to use more gas where you live. Why should you have to pay for more of the roads? You do. You do. Because you use more gas. So you pay more of the gas tax. It's not a perfect fit, but that's an argument that could be made. Um, Let's see. Uh, Then we should, uh, another texter says, then we should do that for the school tax. By the way, I am not saying I am married to a mileage tax. I, I, here's, this is exactly though what my reservation has been about it. My biggest issue with the mileage tax has been that the way they would harvest it. Well, it turns out all of that is there already anyway. The privacy concern is the bigger issue I had. And now that appears to have been breached Already, if you have any thoughts on this, you can call us at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, 1142, News Radio WTMJ. The Brewers return home for a do-or-die game against the L.A. Dodgers. The season's on the line. Greg Matzik is live at Miller Park here from players and coaches starting at 3 o'clock. On Wisconsin's Afternoon News, 1146 News Radio WTMJ. An article caught my eye about how GM recently did this pilot test using the Wi-Fi in newer cars. They harvested information about radio listening habits, which I think is just the tip of the iceberg. And this is the type of concern that people have had a long time. A couple of people have made the point, well, our privacy is breached in so many other ways. 
to Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on WDMJ. How you doing? Good. Uh, yeah, my comment was this has been going on for years. Yeah, I've got a 2007 car with the Bluetooth sensors in for your uh, air valves on your tires. Hmm. And down in Texas and the southwestern part of the state, they have radar stations set up that monitor or listening stations, I guess, that monitor for that Bluetooth signal to see how fast you're going. It's it's been around for years. Well, it's a little different. Okay, the what's what's different here is connected cars Wi-Fi where they can harvest just about every piece of data imaginable. There have been some ways, and I'm not really familiar with what you're saying, but I know that certainly cars have been collecting data for some time. But no, this is actually, I I would argue, Chuck, and I agree with the writer, this is the next chapter in that. Okay. But like I said, I just wanted to make the point that it's been going on for a long time. And uh, Chuck, I don't think Chuck, I don't think it has. Not like this is where I do disagree with you. I think I think you are talking about a level of data that does not match this, and I think that's okay. the concern. Right. Thanks. Okay. Thank, yeah, that's the problem. Thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Now we have drifted into another topic here, and that is the mileage tax, where. This, what this technology also does is allow you to track how many miles you travel and tax you to fix roads based on that versus the current gas tax. To Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, go ahead. Yes, I'm really concerned about what this will do to um, people that are trying to improve our ecology and to be conservative in the use of gas. So it will not people that have big cars instead of electric cars or are driving conservatively will not have an encouragement to do that anymore because if you put the gas tax on mileage instead of gas, we might as well drive a big car and burn up the gas because it's going to be cheaper than, you know, worrying about the miles. Well, but they've already done that. Some governments have put fees on those cars. On those hybrids, because here's the thing: so you got to get the you got you got to get the money for road somewhere. And if ultimately we are weaning ourselves off gas, and and that is what the hybrid is doing, or the full electric car, then gas isn't going to pay for roads. And how do we pay for roads? Right. I'm I'm just concerned that we're. It's it's just like when in Milwaukee, our cost of fuel are heating went up because people were being conservative in how they heated their homes. So all of a sudden, we weren't heating our homes and using up as much, so we had to pay more. <laughs> it's, well, it's, uh, yeah, you're exactly right, Sue. I mean, that is what people who own hybrids are saying is, hey, wait a minute, because these fees that get imposed, you know, a higher registration fee and that sort of thing, like, wait a minute. We bought this car because it was cheaper to operate. Now, perhaps they felt they were saving the environment, which really is debatable because making that car is a pretty big carbon footprint. But anyway, uh, you know, they they may have felt that they were doing something economically sound, but in the or, or ecologically sound. But in the end, and thanks for the call, it was really economically sound for them, and that's the argument. Is well, hey. You're defeating my whole purpose for buying a hybrid if I'm going to pay more. I, for me, I, I know that roads have to get paid for somehow. We're using less and less gas. So it's going to be something that somebody doesn't like. It's going to be toll roads or mileage taxes. <laughs> we just got a text, but the streetcar is still a bad idea.
thought, well, you can get that one in there any way that you can, I guess. But, yeah, by the way, that's perfectly fine point. Um, I think there are, so there are a number of issues here. There are, all right, do we use this so that we can have a mileage tax or toll roads, all of that? That's one thing. But the bigger umbrella, and it's interesting the reaction to this by several listeners, but, ah, look, your privacy went out the window a long time ago anyway. So there's really there's really no point in crying over that spilled milk. It's long gone. I understand, but do not entirely agree with that argument. Well, it's already bad, so let's make it worse. That came up when we were debating the Shorewood High School to Kill a Mockingbird. I said, you can't whitewash history. And a caller said, well, some history has already been whitewashed. I agree with that. So the answer to whitewashing history is more whitewashing of history. The answer to a breach in privacy is a greater breach in privacy. I actually do not think that makes sense. All right, I've got something... As you know, boy, you have to be very careful when it comes to gender inequality. Kleenex, beware. I will explain in a couple of minutes, and we'll hear what Steve Scafidi is cooking for Miller Park. 1152, News Radio, WTMJ. 1155, Jerry Bader. For the final time in WTMJ for the foreseeable future, it's been a blast a couple of days this week, uh, all of last week. Always have a lot of fun. I want to thank everybody for making it so user-friendly that even a dumbbell like me can pull this off. It's an amazing thing. Uh, so final thought, how would mileage tax work with carpooling, a texter asks. Uh, the same way it works with the gas tax. If you're the person driving the carpool, you pay the gas tax. If you're the person driving the carpool, you pay the mileage tax. Now, there is a difference, of course. People chip in for gas. Then you would have to somehow, I'm assuming you're still paying gas to a degree anyway, unless you go with a full electric, which may in fact be coming. But no, in in that regard, it's the same thing. You are bearing the expenses of the driver, just as you do under a gas tax, and then you and the people pooling with you figure out how all that works. That's, I Yes, I do have an open mind to the concept. I don't have an open mind to how intrusive this is becoming in our vehicles. And then there's this. Kleenex will rebrand its man-size tissues after consumers complain the name was sexist. Touching off a social media conversation about what is in a name, the company behind Kleenex, Kimberly Clark, you may have heard of them, said Thursday that the product, which is sold only in the UK, I wonder why that was, will now be called Kleenex Extra Large. Packages for the tissues describe them as confidently strong and comfortingly soft. Kimberly Clark told Britain's Daily Telegraph that it in no way suggests that being both soft and strong was an exclusively masculine trait, nor do we believe that man-sized branding suggests or endorses gender equality. Inequality, excuse me, gender inequality. We are always grateful to customers who take time to tell us how our products can be improved, and we carefully consider 
all suggestions, the company said in a statement. Uh, man, so, uh, it seems like a weird brand for a, a, a tissue anyway, doesn't it? Man-sized? I mean, do we have bigger faces? Uh, don't answer that. Just don't answer that. I was going to say the manly man, Steve Scafidi's at Miller Park, but I might get in trouble. So I'll just say Steve Scafidi's at Miller Park, and he's going to tell us what he's working on.